Welcome back to Sir Reginald's Monocle. I'm Toby Shaver, here with my brother Dave doing our Umbrella Academy after show. What's up, Shavy D? Super excited to be here, Tobe. So we're fresh off of episode three of season two now. And what was the title of this one? The Swedish Job? Yes. I think, which didn't pay off. Did that pay off at all, the name of this episode? Like, I don't remember anything about that coming up at all. Uh, not the specifics, you know, just <clears throat> basically the, the they had been sent on the mission um, to take out Vanya, you know, but the, really the reveal was in the last episode as far as when the, when their tube arrived, it was labeled the Swedes, you know. So that was really, oh right, you know, the, it, so, I think just so it. much okay. happened in the last one that they, uh, it was almost like a nod to that, just that you know, yeah, that makes sense. The the, the hit is out and and uh, and now you know a lot of things will happen because of that or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of what I took. Yeah, it, spe- it speaking of the movie. speaking of the milkman, I I went back and looked at that part that we discussed on the last episode where there was that kind of funny look where I thought maybe it was like a time jump kind of thing. And maybe that was like a younger version, you know, because he was wearing the milkman stuff, but what it was, that was just the look of, of the dude thinking, Oh, I'm going to kill that guy and take his milkman suit and take his truck. And that'll be what we operate out of now. So it was just that I just, you know, okay. First viewing just misread kind of what went down there. So my, my lofty, Time travel theories are are definitely debunked there. These are just some creepy looking Scandinavian dudes. Yeah, I mean, once they did the underwear, you know, cooking in his underwear and the guys throwing knives at each other, you know, they they're just going for full out weirdo, you know, hit squad yeah, type of yeah. thing. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so but we digress. Episode three um, starts out. We get we get a little montage at the beginning, which I, I've been hoping for. I think we actually talked about it uh, on the last show. Um, kind of a little update of exactly how Klaus came to be a cult leader and and kind of an overview of of what he's been doing up till now. So we get to see him between like 1960 and probably, you know, mid 61, 62 ish. Um, you know, kind of first showing off his powers and, you know, Ben, of course, helping him out to ingratiate himself with the wealthy and you know he eventually starts to gather a following and and hits the road and basically that that's kind of brings us up up to speed with what he's been doing and how you know why there's portraits of him in in mansions and whatnot they did such a fantastic job last season in season one of doing those quick little bursts of bringing you up to speed. And this one was fantastic. I mean, all the speculation that we had in the last episode, as far as, you know, what the cult really was, or it wasn't exactly a cult, what, you know, how they were going to handle that. I I couldn't. Why friends of the governor are bailing him out and stuff like that. Influential, wealthy and influential friends versus actually knowing the, the, the politician himself. It was handled perfectly. I mean, the fact that he was basically just, again, like I spoke of before, you know, the idea of like you're you're a stranger in a strange land, so you kind of get ready to go to ground. So he kind of went back into that Klaus self-serving mode and, you know, like was, you know, 
kind of doing his grift at the at the diner and he he gets pushed out sees the shoes says oh yeah here's my ticket baby and then (laughs) you know that it just it goes and then you know as a means to an end he gets sick of it and then the you know don't touch me i mean it was just a perfect little you were able to kind of see that whole three years in those couple minutes and it was uh, yeah it was handled really well i um and And not only do we get get a nice backstory chunk about klaus but we also learn we're starting to learn a little bit more about his musical tastes because in jail i believe he told somebody don't go chasing waterfalls i was gonna say that and now we find out that his cult is called destiny's children (laughs) so clearly klaus is a 90s r&b guy i think is what we're what we're finding out you you absolutely i was you took the words literally out of my mouth that's where exactly where i was going next um yes the stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to I just love that. I mean, I don't think we commented on that before for the last episode. That was perfect. And then when they said that they were basically the cult's name was Destiny's Children, that was just the cherry on top. Um, a, well, a cool little thing about him and and his powers, too, is the fact that I, there's, I believe there's something specific about him not wearing shoes when he's when he's not wearing shoes he's more powerful or more connected or more there's there's some level of of uh you know it 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 ties to his abilities in some way and so i wonder if that's you know visually i've seen it happen quite often that 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 is what is happening this season but i'm wondering if they'll they'll actually specifically reference that at some point but yeah i love klaus and they uh I'm very happy with with where they've brought him and you know kind of where he's at um, in his mindset you know going into this this time time period. Well, if if there's nothing you know wonky that's going to happen with the timeline in the in the next you know nine or ten days or whatever's left in in the timeline on the show, um, you know he's it seems like he's going to have to discover something or power up in some way because. It looked like he had quite a command of of his powers uh, going into that battle with the Soviets. You know, when he's commanding a, a army of ghost soldiers. I mean, we haven't really seen it in the show yet that that kind of power out of Klaus. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few episodes to get him to that point. Oh, for sure. I mean, like we, you know, obviously we left the at the end of last episode with the introduction of a younger. Uh, Sir Reginald, I mean, you you know that right. eventually there's got to be some way where he's he plays a part in basically taking them. You know, he's he's not whatever interaction he has in this season, he's not dealing with children. You know, he he's dealing with a crew of adults that have a few days to get their act together to save the world. So I'm hoping that they play that angle where he can really bring them. You know, bring the best so out of all of them. So is that kind of where, at this point, where you're seeing it's going, where you know Sir Reginald will eventually, you know, kind of come together with them to help them save the world. Potentially, I hope that in that era. Potentially, that's what I hope I'm seeing. You know, because with the, I love the 
very first interaction he has with Diego is that, you know, they fight it out and he takes the upper hand, but, you know, Diego feels like he's been wronged at this point because he feels like he, he was, it was dirty pool. So a like sucker punch. You're kind right. Of thing. So they're already setting up all these things. And then the, you know, the lingering issues that, uh, that for instance, like Luther has with getting sent to the moon, but he doesn't have these issues with this guy or this version of Sir right. Reginald, but he'll bring that to the table. So it's just so ripe with all these, you know, you have to have that. You, I mean, I just, I hope they, I hope, I hope that's where it's going. Between Shanky and Diego, it doesn't seem like Sir Reginald or Pogo, for that matter, are particularly easy to work with in this timeline. So I don't, I don't necessarily see them wanting to team up at this point. Well, exactly. But, uh, I like. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's funny because if you think about it, 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 this may actually soften him enough where he's actually a tolerable guardian to raise the kids in the future. You know, if, if this mm. version of Sir Reginald that we, we've, we've seen for the, you know, five minutes so far, he might have killed, you know, a couple of the seven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I also enjoyed That's going, going, going back to Klaus's thing. I liked I, I liked seeing in the uh, in kind of the recap montage, they also started to show us a little bit why, you know, at the beginning of this season, we see Klaus and Ben you know, basically not even wanting to be around each other anymore. We kind of see that deteriorate a little bit. And it looks like some of it was, you know, Ben, I don't know if you caught that moment. Ben yep. seemed to have a little crush on someone who was not living in the ghost world. Um, well, and I, th- I think I think he was probably pretty pissed at Klaus when, when he wanted to take off and leave the, leave the group because I think he was ghost-stalking that girl on the bus. At some level, right? Exactly. My my, I I caught it obviously, and my interest is in. Is it a connection that he made? Obviously, I mean, he's he made an, the initial connection. I think what was established in that scene with a living person that he cares about, but in the three years that transpire, or however many years since that that interaction. You know, does she pass away and now she's a ghost? But but she doesn't, you know, because right at this point right now with Klaus's power levels, it seems like he's really just interacting with Ben. But, or is she still living and it's just one of those things where, like you said, it's kind of a ghost stalking or, uh, or just, you know, him caring enough to, yeah. you know, want to be, you know, in, in that vicinity or whatever. But, um, yeah, there's there's... There's answers to be had. Yes. So uh, then as, as the episode kind of kicks off, we, we see Diego um, getting patched up by uh, Leah. Is it Le- Leah or Lila? I think, I think it's Lila. Great. Yeah, she she basically, you know, the, the next time you see Diego after he's bleeding out at the end of episode two, she's, st- you know, the stalker that she is at this point, you know, she's following him and... Uh, and basically saves his life. And when he comes to and sees that it's her, you know, he, he's the typical Diego and she basically has to kind of give him the little shot to the bullet wound to <laughs> knock him yeah. back out, to <laughs> shut him up. So, um, yeah. yeah, they, 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 I really like their, their interplay. They're, they're, 
their dynamic is really nice so far. Really fun. Yeah. So, so w- when we catch up with Vanya in this episode, she's kind of getting stalked by the milkmen. Yeah, they're, uh, I think I heard somebody, maybe five, called them the Ikea Mafia, which I like. <laughs> right, so, Ikea Mafia, that's so a good one too. <laughs> that, That's probably better than the milkmen. But, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah, in the... Uh, yeah. In the court, I mean, that was actually, it was funny because that was the one scene really so far in the whole show. I mean, as much as I kind of went on a little bit about the, the shoulder part of the the escape scene, that, that was really nothing. But the, in this one where as soon as she, you know, she waits so long to pull away when they kind of confront her on the road. And then when she does, she like gets a hundred yards away and put immediately puts it in a ditch. You know, that's, yeah. I mean, that's horror movie one Oh one as far as, right. You know, exactly. making her have to go. Yeah. There go, are some little things foot. like that, that facilitate, you know, that are just little things they do that. It's just like, you know, again, I don't, it, it's super nitpicky, but yeah, there are some of those kind of lazier things just to let's just get past this and get to the scene that we need to have. Well, and I think that, Right. I mean, I, I, I think there's truth in what you're saying. And I, and I would even be more forgiving in the sense that I think sometimes because they do such a good job of avoiding most of those, some of them you kind of have to have where, mm-hmm. you know, there's no way they can chase her. And then, you know, it's got to be set there. And just, you know, it's just a couple of those things where, you know, there was maybe ways to do it where they did more damage to the car and, and, you know, who knows again? Well, the bottom line is I'm fine the, with it. We need to get Vanya in the cornfield. Correct. So that we can have this badass crop circle thing with the burnt out. Corn, you know it, which was sweet. So, you know, you know it, one man. of those, they track her down again. This is the, the Vanya that at this point still has amnesia, but, um, and doesn't have the full story, but she she definitely is starting to you know learn that there's family around and that there's craziness. But uh, you know, as as often happens, you know, in in stories like this, the adrenaline, the the uh, heightened situation brings out the powers that the person doesn't even know they have, and uh, just a, amazing job, special effects wise. Uh, how, how she kind of takes out the milkman, puts puts him back, and then ends up, you know, ostensibly, I guess, just staying in the cornfield overnight because then Five shows up. Um, you know, he had had Elliot tracking things. You know, it sounds like he, he's got Elliot watching several different machines because Elliot's like, one of the machines is is uh, making a noise or whatever he said. Um, and it was the one that he had that was tracking sound waves. So he was able to... to figure out where Vanya was and, and show up. And what I loved about five and, and Vanya coming together, cause they end up basically sitting at the diner and five, just, you know, all business, no bullshit, just lays out the story. This is the situation. You know, you were, you were adopted by a billionaire along with six other siblings, all that have superpowers. And, uh, you know, the end of the world came and, you know, we escaped it by 
and we got spread out over time. And I mean, he tells her all the information she needs to know to get her caught up. But then when she asks what caused the apocalypse, that's like the one part. Like it, it was actually the first, you know, not maybe not the first, but one of the rare times with five that we see him actually, you know, kind of tap into his humanity a little bit because there was no reason for her him to tell her right there that she was the one that caused the apocalypse. You know, so he just kind of hesitated for a second and and said, oh, it was a, you know, meteor that crashed to Earth, which was totally true. He still wasn't lying to her at all, but he just kind of left out the part that it was her, uh, you know, tasty violin jam that that brought it about. Yeah, I love Five. He's the great he's the best character as far as superhero in the sense of. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously you have the more standard selfless heroicism of a Luther, the, um, you know, more commitment to being out on the streets and, you know, doing the work every night type of stuff like a Diego. And, you know, they all have their different aspects of it, but five is the most, you know, because, you know, he's lived the years he's lived. Um, you know, he just has the, the, the experience, but because, through the organization he worked for as well as his powers themselves, you know, he has a grasp and an understanding of certain things on, you know, for lack of better expression, like on a cosmic level, you know, because of the whole space time thing that I just think he gets it. You know, he kind of like I've spoke to before, like the idea of like a, you know, uh, I guess for lack of better reference than I have off the top of my head, like a gray Jedi style of character where you know they are on an individual level there's care and there's you know obviously like for five it's the connection to the family like he gives a shit about them but he also is pragmatic enough to understand that you know the the larger machinations of you know how how stuff has to work so yeah i love the just laying it down for her, but you know, it, it it doesn't really serve any good to get real specific on some of that stuff, and it could even be have a negative effect. So, so you know, well, I also feel like it's a it it's a character growth because I feel like the five that showed up at the beginning of season one in that same situation would have been like, this is what happened, this is the apocalypse, you actually caused it with your powers, you know? And I feel like him being back and, you know, spending time with his siblings, I think it started to, you know, bring back a little humanity to him. That's that's kind of how I feel like, like there's some growth there. I like it. Yeah, I mean... I mean, because if you think about it, the whole time... You know, from from whatever time he disappeared into time in their childhood, and now them as adults, for that whole time, he was living that life that was a pretty, you know, cold, heartless life, you know, other than his, you know, long, loving marriage with the mannequin. Um, you know, it was a pretty lonely, cold existence. So, I, you know, I just think he's starting to, you know, become an actual person again. Well, I like, I get and respect what you're saying. I think where I guess I just see it slightly different is I don't think that he 
I, I don't view it as that he had shut off his humanity. I think where the difference lies, because I do, I, I pick up on it, the, the slight difference as well. And I guess where I saw it was the connection part, you know, the, the whole time he was, you know, the, I, whatever he says, it was like 45 years. He was isolated, you know, by himself before he even got approached with the deal. Um, he was always hoping to get home. He was always wanting to go back to his siblings. So, you know, I, I think his heart had never hardened. So he was, there was always a deep humanity, a well of humanity within him. And, but again, there's just such that pragmatic side of him that like when he got approached with the, like when, when the handler said, Hey, you can work for us for five years and, and then go wherever you want. He knew immediately he was going to manipulate the situation and do what had to be done. And I think that he got so used to doing that, like even in season one, after he'd come back and and connected with the family again, that he was still just all the time would be like mid-sentence, somebody would be talking to him and he would blink out to, you know, go further on whatever mission he was doing. And now in this one, where I'm seeing it is he's taking the time to actually explain things to people. So I think his heart's in the same place in both examples. But I think now it's a, hey, it didn't work the first time because I almost kind of did it all on my own, just moving them like Mm, chess pieces, where this time I've got to directly involve them and you know, get them on board. And I don't know that it's going quite that deep yet, but I think that, you know, that's the glimpses that I'm seeing and I'm hoping pay off down the road. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what you said is totally legit too, and could very well, you know, I'm just saying that I, that's the only slight difference I see. Yeah. Well, I like to, you know, I like to infer, you know, a little more heart into things. I guess I'm just a more sensitive guy like that. I mean, maybe, I like maybe you're just looking at it from from the perspective of a cold-hearted assassin. So yeah, I'm a, yeah, a little cynicism, little, little cynical. All right, so so let's talk about it. Uh, space boy, sad space boy. I'm just starting to feel bad for this dude. Like he's supposed to be the man, and he's just a he's just a broken broken gorilla yep yeah i i mean well i i don't know i think there's a some sort of famous quote to the effect of you know it's not the it's not the things that you attempt and fail at it's the things that you never attempt that you'll will be the greatest regrets when it's all said and done and i think that you know that's what you're seeing in luther you know it's the the he's coming to grips with the cold hard truth that you know he had that little glimmer of hope uh, you know, where he just, you know, now he realizes not everybody's dead and, you know, maybe he'll see her again and maybe, you know, things will work out. And, uh, and then that all just came a crashing down. So, <laughs> well, even, even when we see him at the start of the episode, it starts out so hopeful. He's like doing the Rocky Balboa jogging through the neighborhood and the kids are following him and, cheering him but then even that goes sideways immediately and everybody hates him and i just i i just feel so bad for space boy 
Yeah, and 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 Tom Hopper's just playing it perfectly too. I the, the it's there is a resilience to you know deep belief, and that's what I think the the glimmer there was that little glimmer of that that you saw right you know when he sets off to start on that morning jog and and then yeah it just starts with the kids heckling down you know and he just keeps getting beat down through the episode and yeah he's yeah. a shell he's, so he's a shell by so the way. he uh he gets his boss jack ruby to help him help him track down allison and he does and shows up um and she's not home, but her husband Ray is, and you know he he learns the heartbreaking news that she's been married for a year, and I don't know, just that the whole scene in the kitchen where he just busts into the chocolates and starts you know emotionally eating. I just uh, I feel your pain, Luther. I've been there. He- but uh, yeah, so he he obviously has a uh, you know the, the same instinct that sends him to the flask sends him to the chocolate as well well in the uh and and i believe in the comic if you know is uh there's there's a lot of the whole uh thor endgame thing going on oh where he falls into a deep depression (laughs) and like gets real fat really yeah (laughs) yeah as part of this story like when he finds out that she's married like it's well. It's not this story exactly. It's a different. It's but just in general. But it's over her. I mean, it's it's that's yeah, his emotions are directly tied to his deep love and affection for <laughs> Allison. So, <laughs> but yeah. but yeah, it's a yeah. There, it's it, it, uh, yeah. Poor sucker. Yeah. So so um, so Klaus um after Klaus kind of shows up and or Allison shows up at Klaus's house um, and kind of reunites with him, which is nice. It's nice to see them come back together. And, and that was, that was like the first kind of just happy reunion we've seen of any of the siblings yet. The other ones have been a little more intense, but uh, after they meet and he finds out that um, the guy that he was talking to in jail is Allison's husband, which again, that's like a, just one of those things that you just have to suspend disbelief on. And it's just funny. They, it's almost like they wrote that in too, because they just have Klaus say, yeah, small world, you know, which is almost like just so on the nose that it's almost like, I felt like that was the writer saying, fuck it. Let's just, exp- let's just have him just say what everybody's thinking, you know, cause what are the odds that he's going to end up in, in, jail right next to his sibling's husband after they've all been scattered across time i mean that's one of the uh one of the leaps that we have to take but uh so he finds out he's still in jail and goes back and ben helps him you know through ghost magic to to basically threaten them and and free ray which all kind of leads to this episode you know kind of culminating at the sit-in so why don't you take it from there? Talk a little bit about that. Uh, about the, le- what part would you like me to speak about? Because there's a lot so, going on there. Um, well, right. So uh, let's, let's start with the meeting where they're talking about canceling it. Where Allison steps okay. up. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, that's uh, oh, great scene. I mean, just and we're jumping around. That's a little bit earlier in the episode, but yeah, it's so I'm hard. Again, that's the that's the one thing with this. You know, as you're kind of talking about different threads of the story, I'm. It's just so hard to do it chronologically yeah. or whatever. You know, there's just so much, but it, it 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 all makes sense as you watch it. It's just you know to discuss it, it's it just makes it a little more difficult, but. Yes, that scene is magnificent because as I spoke about last yeah. episode, I think that, you know, misogyny is absolutely as limiting and damaging as as so much of all the other things that people have to face in this world. And I really thought that was handled well, the idea that, you know, just because Ray wasn't there, you know, the the idea that his uh, his wife his partner wouldn't understand what he was trying to accomplish what all of them were trying to accomplish as a you know group men and women alike uh that she couldn't decide that it was still a go and she didn't understand that what his wishes were you know even if they wanted to understand you know that he was still behind it um i thought they handled that really well i don't know what her name was, but the woman who, the character who owned the uh, beauty parlor, you know, she just said, hey, you know, this is my place. She'll speak if I say she'll yeah. speak. And, you know, I mean, that's, a, you know, the the power of black women is just so, I mean, the world is constantly doing things to limit and take their voice away. And they have always, I mean, I'm, I could get real emotional and I try not to, but it's, you know, they are the backbone of this country and this world. And, uh, I, I just thought it, it? A, a, a lot was encapsulated in that scene. And, uh, I thought it was handled real well. The one funny thing that I actually laughed at kind of was right at the end you know, after they, you know, the vote is taken and they decide they're still going to do the sit-in. Uh, as the woman is walking past Allison, she kind of grabs her shoulder and says, uh, you know, behind every woman and kind of gives her a smile. Yeah. Or, uh, behind every, uh, I'm sorry, behind every good man. Uh, yeah. You know, dot, 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 basically. Um, you know, and the finish, the old adage is, you know, is a good woman. And my thing is, is I immediately thought in my mind, you know, now we're seeing it, thank God. But like back then, what that was a little glimpse of is, you know, maybe it's time that it wasn't a good woman behind that man. Maybe it's time it was a good woman that was in front of that man. And uh, so I thought that resonated really deeply with me and and that... uh, Well, it's an interesting kind of snapshot of that time period because, you know, you you look back on that now and it seems, you know, it seems kind of crazy. But like here is this whole, you know, here's this group literally planning an event, you know, to fight against oppression. And yet even within their own group, they are going to now oppress, you know, people within their own group, the women, and have, you know, the men being the only ones calling the shots. And it just, I mean, in, in a way it's nice because you're right, that that 
we've come a long way since then you wouldn't nowadays you would be more likely to see the strong woman in front but uh yeah i think they handled that whole thing beautifully so so you know basically with the help of the salon owner character they get it to where it's a vote and you know most of them end up supporting allison um so they head out to the the diner the same diner that that seems to be the recurring location for for everything in this season so far and uh allison goes in first and you know they kind of follow her in one one by one and just i mean the the scene with the people just dumping things on their heads and you know eventually allison even gets the coffee spilled directly in her lap the hot coffee you know to to get them to get up you know give them a reason for the cops to take them down and whatnot but uh yeah it's uh it's uncomfortable to watch yes it's it's i thought it was handled very well it was uh it should be it should make people uncomfortable it's supposed to be uncomfortable yep yep Yep. amen um so everything's kind of building to this moment in the episode and then uh as i mentioned when they finally go as far as actually spilling hot coffee on her you know obviously allison and and ray now causing her to make contact with the police officer which gives them the pretense to slam them into the counter and get physical which is all the bullshit that always happens so that's right exactly well i was was gonna say that's just ripped from today's headlines for sure um but before this happens when we when we see ray show up a little later after allison's already been there He's pretty salty with her at this point yes. because now he's found. I mean, this is after his his encounter with Luther, and you know, I mean, he doesn't. And his brother, and his brother-in-law, Klaus. Pers- <laughs> and, right, and Klaus, exactly, exactly. Because when Klaus gets him out of jail, he lets him know, "Hey, hey, brother." He says, "He says, hey, brother." You know? <laughs> Yeah, he's like, yes, we're all. Br-. Yeah, Ray's like, yes, we're all brothers. He's like, yeah, I guess we're all brothers. Yeah. <laughs> But no, uh, yeah, so he's now. he obviously is is you know and and rightly so you know pretty that's a pretty pretty pissed pretty Allison, uh, significant secrets after a year yeah, of marriage. Yeah, that's quite a quite a lot of new information, right. especially on top of the fact that you know one of well on top of the fact that both of the brothers are white dudes, which is probably surprising enough, you know in 1963 to find out your wife has two brothers they're both white and one of them is basically a silverback gorilla i mean that's a lot of news to take in one day so i think ray is justified in maybe maybe giving a little cold shoulder at the diner absolutely you know and there's no ifs ands or buts that you'd have to be blind to see that there wasn't at least some level of luther pining or or you know, reeling from the news of the marriage. So, um, yeah. you know, which, I mean, obviously, again, two white brothers from the North already, you know, you're going to be a little skeptical as it is. And then, uh, yeah. and then uh, one of them seems to be, you know, madly in love with his sister is, uh, yeah, it's going to, yeah. it's going to leave you a little unsettled, I think. But, <laughs> but in retrospect, <laughs> That was the least shitty part about Ray's day because after everything goes down at the diner, he's taken out and just being beaten severely with the, you know, the baton, the whole deal. 
and Allison's freaking out, slips away. And now, now this, it, it was really a sad moment that it came to that also for Allison because, you know, when she met with Klaus and was kind of catching up with him, you know, she said a lot of the things that we had talked about last week about. For sure. How, I thought about that. You know, she, she was happy to be living this life now where she's earned what she has. and, and She's making an active power. choice to not use her power. She, right. You know, it's a decision she's making every day. And I, I, I have so much respect for that, you know, so. Yeah. And she says that she hasn't used it the last time she even tried was when, when uh, she tried to do it to Vanya in season one. Um, so, you know, it, it was sad that, that she was pushed to that point, but eventually she did say it to the cop and, and, you know, credit to Allison. She did the, the least possible thing she could have done. She could have done much worse and probably should have done much worse to the cop. But all she did was say that she heard a rumor that he walked away and that's what he did. But, you know, Ray again, you know, shittiest day ever for Ray is like, you know, he didn't actually hear her, I think, this time, but he's just like, what could you, what could a black woman have possibly said to that white cop to get him to walk away and stop beating me? You know, so he's, he, he's going to need some answers. She's going to probably need to bring him up to speed or, uh, yeah, I don't know if they're going to make that second anniversary. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, poor Ray. I mean, my goodness. It's, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one. So, yeah, it's uh, they. Uh, th- it was really handled well because not only was it... S- the scene was done so well, and by that point in it, emotions were so high from the perspective of, of us, the viewer, and so invested in what's going on and how it's getting handled, and then, you know, he's getting hurt and beat and everything else, and then she has to step in, and we know... Again, like you said, they they had established that she had been thinking about it and had been actively not using her power. So then she's got to, you know, everything is is changed in that moment on so many different levels. And it's just it's just really, you know, the look that they share, you know, his hurt and confusion and, you know, and her disappointment in, in herself and her love for him. But like her. You know, it's just, there's just so, they really did well at, you know, producing that kind of raw nerve effect. So, really handled well. Yeah. So, um, this is such a great Klaus episode. We got to see Klaus also pay a very stocky, weird visit to, you know, a, a version of Dave that had no idea who he was. Um, you know, his, his, uh, ex love from Vietnam who died that, you know, we saw a big, was a big part of season one. So he went back and, and visited him at the hardware store that he worked. And obviously, you know, Dave's got no idea w- what's going on. And I think, uh, you know, I think that's going to further the rift between Ben and Klaus, because I, I think like Ben would love to be doing that. Ben would probably love to travel around and visit all the, you know, all his old relatives. And he's kind of, you know, beholden to all these whims that Klaus wants to go on. But, uh, 
you know, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he's just crushing that character of Klaus so much that it's just so well awesome to see them explore. <laughs> you know, like Klaus always seems to have all these little side missions that he's on these these projects that he's doing with. Um, but it was nice to get him to go see Dave and and have that moment with so little dialogue, but with such a control and 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 you know exercise of of facial expression i i just it was part of klaus part of what makes that character such a great character is the you know the the establishing what he went through in that um in that uh tomb in that uh mausoleum as a young kid you know and establishing his his wanting to suppress that power through drug use and everything you know and just how eventually that just that defense creates such a selfish core inside of you but for you know a very hurt you know a very damaged reason um so it's very, you know, he's established, he's created this character where you really do, you know, your first assumption is it's it's him just manipulating the situation, you know, maybe not out of a, uh, not coming from a place of, of wanting to hurt the other person, but just wanting to be, you know, somewhat self-serving or selfish. Um, so in that scene, you know, as you're watching his face and you're, you know, he's, he, there's there's something behind those eyes, but you, you can't, you know, you can't feel that it's it it's it is any deeper than that because so much of what's been established so far with that character is self-serving. So you know it goes through all those motions and everything, and then you know if you want to pick up the exchange between he, he and Ben once they they get back in the car afterwards. But you know I just loved how with very very little use of dialogue. You know, they really built to, you know, when he, when they walked, when he walked out of that store with his two cans of paint, you know, and you know, they're not showing Ben at that exact moment, but you know, he's right there with them. You know, you're, you're, right. you're so in both of those characters heads simultaneously, you, you're, you're thinking at least at that point that, you know, Klaus is absolutely just coming from the selfish spot of you know wanting to he's greedy for you know one last moment with with dave or or just you know something that's self-serving and and ben is so frustrated with him of you know you know is this you just being you one one more time and you know how can you do that and and you know what a dick and then once they sit down in the car you want to take it from there yeah yeah i mean it it turns out it, it's really just the opposite and it's kind of a you know in a way it's a bit of a recurring theme because i think a lot of like the siblings you know they the default is to assume the worst from klaus you know and i'm sure that there's a track record you know to which he's earned that but you know in this case as in other cases it's it's the opposite you know he's there to save dave because he remembers that he told him the day he enlisted 
for Vietnam was the day Kennedy was shot. Yep. And this is just a few days before that. So, you know, he, he, his hope is that he's going to be able to talk him out of doing that somehow. And, you know, it's the opposite of self-serving because not only is it, is it to save Dave, but, you know, by doing that, he is, you know, cosmically eliminating their entire relationship. Absolutely. He's you know? hurt. He's hurting himself for the betterment of someone else. That's, that's what's so important about that scene is that that's what I think gets lost sometimes in that Klaus character so far is just the fact that, you know, selfishness, I think, in in today's use of that term very much gets a dual association with it's it's a level of you're doing it for yourself, but you're also doing it to somewhat screw someone else over or hurt someone else. Whereas really at the core, what selfishness really is, is just a self-centeredness that causes your decision-making to not take into account anybody else. So there's never real intent of hurting other people. It just, I mean, sometimes people get hurt around you because it's all about you. But it's not like, there's never right. real intention, whereas, you know, you have to be thinking about others to, to consciously hurt them. So, you know, as Klaus has gone through this, it's not been with an intent to ever hurt others. It's just he's just so self-centered or self-serving. That's how it kind of works out. So the idea that, you know, this is a real genuine moment, a real genuine step in his evolution as far as, you know, I'm not only going to take an action that I think might, you know, it's, well... Almost like three levels. Not only does it not serve me, so I'm not being selfish, but then it's actually going to help someone outside of myself, which is great. And then at that third and almost more, you know, uh, you know, a, a level that's actually a, a whole nother level of respect is the idea that it, it's actually going to probably hurt me. It's not just going to not serve me. Yeah. It's going to, you know. I'm going to take that moment away. And, and that's, right. you know, yeah, I, I thought that the, uh, I thought Ben, I thought that was played very well with the, you know, again, they, they, they're doing a really good job in the series of within a scene there, you, it actually, you can actually, witness character growth right there you know there's so many times where someone has to go away and reflect on it or mm. there's a there's a a peripheral event that you know causes that connection to happen where like in this case i mean it if you're ever going to try to understand somebody else it, the one time to to do it is or, I mean, you should always do it, but the one time you're really going to try is with family. So I think that just yeah. the idea that they're being forced to try to work some of the thing, these things out on the fly is, uh, you know, they're playing it really well. And and I like, I dig it. And, like, I don't, I don't knock Ben for stepping in and trying to, you know, protect Dave in that situation either because his heart Absolutely. was in the right place as well. I mean, if I had you or Clay invisible next to me while I've made 
the worst decisions and mistakes of my life, you know, that nobody knows about necessarily, but you knew about all of them. You know, I, I would, uh, I'd give you a pass if you second guessed my intentions. <laughs> you know, you know what I yes. mean? Like Ben has been around Klaus now and seen him, you know, screw up big time and make very selfish decisions. So he had every reason to believe that, you know, he was there to see Dave. Just absolutely. For selfish reasons. So I think you're right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm, but, I'm a big believer in, in conscience and, you know, the, yeah. the idea that one of the greatest gifts that came with the birth of my son was at that moment, I kind of changed my philosophy a little bit about life. And I just said, I think almost kind of what you're speaking to. I, I just said, you know, philosophically, from this moment on, I want to live my life as if I'm being videotaped 24-7. And at any moment, the sum total of my life choices could be shown to my son. And how would I feel yeah. about that? And uh, I, I'm far from a, you know, perfect or even, you know, good man, let's say, but I actively have tried to be every day since. And, you know, I love in this show, the idea of, you know, Ben being that, that conscience of Klaus, because I mean, you know, that one scene during the montage when they're catching you up to speed and they're wrestling on the uh, highway where the, the, the cop sees yeah. them, you know, like, <laughs> or whatever, the, whoever the passerby sees them wrestling by himself. You know, that's just it. I mean, your conscience, that's why it's your conscience. Sometimes it's the devil on the one shoulder and sometimes it's the angel on the other. What's that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I said sometimes you want to fight it on the side of the road. <laughs> exactly. You know? You want, like, Klaus just has, like, the physical manifestation. That, that he can, yeah, that he can actually punch and wrestle with. But, uh, and it, it, it's interesting to see, like, how they play, because obviously Ben's relationship as, as the ghost is going to have a completely different sibling relationship with Klaus for that reason. I think the other siblings are almost a little bit more, like, even though, even though they're all always clearly annoyed and kind of expect maybe the worst from Klaus as far as, you know, from a responsibility standpoint, at least not that he's like evil or anything. Um, but I think that they understand a little bit because they understand why he's been driven to addiction. You know, they know the powers that he's trying to suppress when he goes down that road. So it's like, I think that they, do a nice job of of balancing like the uh, annoying brother kind of thing up to you know klaus being klaus stuff with them being actually genuinely empathetic to this guy i mean if he was just a a um a junkie that kept relapsing and kept letting the family down and letting themselves down and all of that and they had no awareness where any of that was coming from. They might not have that same kind of empathy, but with Klaus, it's very obvious why, you know, he has been reluctant and unable to sober up all this time because, you know, if you're facing just ghosts talking in your head all the time, that's, that's a lot different. Although obviously just a very good metaphor for mental illness in general. 
Definitely, certainly. And uh, yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a, well, it's funny because even, I mean, not specifically about that, but it sparked my mind to think of the juxtaposition of like, say, a Luther versus a, a Klaus, whereas the siblings actually probably understand a Klaus more than, you know, the understanding what he went through having Sir Reginald as their care, you know, quote unquote caregiver. Um, they totally understand how he got to where he got. They're probably actually more yeah. perplexed by the fact that Luther stayed, you know, as on, on point and as focused as he did all those years. Like in the one scene, and I think it was in season one where, you know, Diego basically comments on, you know, uh, I understand if you're angry because we all left, but like, why did you stay? You know, type of thing. So, um, so yeah, that's interesting. But, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, and the one thing that I've noticed too, and I don't know if they're consciously doing it or if it's just, you know, how it's the show's evolved, but, you know, obviously they, throughout season one, they started playing up more and more the focus of Klaus's communications with Ben. But like, even in these first three episodes, you know, Ben is more and more, you know, clearly, literally, visually focused in these episodes. And I think that is also maybe a, you know, through this process, there's a, 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 a more and more of a clarification or a, I don't know if that's the right word, but in, in the mind of Klaus himself and as, as his mind becomes more clear, you know, the, the, Ben's gateway to the physical world is a little more enhanced. So, yeah, curious to see. Well, it would seem so that. because in the in the prologue, when we see the the epic battle um, at the beginning of the season, you know, Klaus is doing his thing over here with the Ghost Army, and Ben's up on top of another building, you know, ripping it up, yeah. the tentacles fly and <clears> stuff. So that would definitely. Uh, definitely support what you're saying that maybe he's getting closer to you know almost being part of the physical world again or or more more independent of klaus at least you know right. but because of klaus's powers being stronger well correct because i think klaus always at, at least to some degree has to be the conduit but what i like is is, right. is and again i don't know if they're consciously doing this or if i'm reading into it but I, I will enjoy it if they're making a, a, a concerted effort to show Klaus getting healthier mentally as well. Like the fact that, you know, it's like a dry drunk. Like you can put down the bottle and be a miserable SOB and you just you just stop drinking, but you didn't sort out your problems. You didn't you didn't fix yourself and become a better person. So like, you know, now that he's not doing drugs you know he's more connected to the spirit world but like you know if he really works it out and maybe helps you know through the help of ben you know really gets healthier and healthier i think that it will open up his connection to the spirit world so uh, you know i think that there's way you know or at least could conceivably be played that way so I'm interested. I'm interested to yeah, see just where needs it goes to, he just needs to use the same skills you know the same powers and people skills that he used building the cult <laughs> he needs to move from from david koresh to more like tony robbins i love it you know where it's where it's still definitely uh manipulative and shady but in a much healthier way use your powers for good 
Yes. And exactly. Yes, exactly. And uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, good. good. Well, and then um, I think we've covered quite a bit of ground. Uh, the one thing I think we did. The only thing we haven't hit is the hand. You know what? You, you took know? the words right out of my mouth and I've got a theory. I'm saving it for the end. I, I love you. I, I, great minds think alike, my brother. So we find the handler is uh, is in town, is in 1963 Dallas. Um, you know, we don't really see too much. He goes into T- the, tormenting small the, children, uh, making them wet their yeah, pants. Yeah, tormented small children. It's so funny, and I don't I, I don't know if it, if it's just you know tropey or whatever. But as soon as as soon as I saw her whispering in the kid's ear, I'm like, oh, that kid's gonna piss his pants. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming a mile away, but it was it was worth it. It was just a great. Sometimes it just needs to be that done. They, that's what, and I love that they made that whole moment just just visual. You know, basically, he, she's telling him, "Oh, fish don't don't like when you tap on the glass," and you know, obviously, she knows because her boss is one. Um, she's heard it directly from from them, and uh, you know, he ends up tapping on the glass anyway. And I love that they didn't like show what she said to him. Right. They just had her whisper in his ear. We don't know what she said. And then the next thing we see is just the kid just peeing his pants. Yeah, um, it was. So she's in town. She's up uh, up to no good, obviously. So why don't you go ahead and. Well, and take well what was there. perfect was that scene. I love the fact that, you know, she basically, like you said, she says, don't tap on the glass. They don't like it. And gives them that opportunity to make a choice. To, 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 to yeah. turn from that decision. And he chooses not to. He cha- moves over to a different tank and starts tapping again. And then that's when she chooses <laughs> to lean in and you never hear a word, but she goes medieval and obviously the eyes get big and he wets his drawers and runs out the front door and, you know, she's back. So loving that. Um, my thing is, is I have two theories and and that's why i'm glad we saved this for the end i wonder if she is now going to become somewhat of a like an anti sir reginald and lila who we see at the very end um goes to that same fish tank takes out a a hotel key out of the little toy uh treasure chest in the in the tank to room 217 of a hotel which she goes to enters starts talking to her mother calls out mother asks if she can order room service and lo and behold mother is the handler and my <laughs> so thought obviously and my thought Lila was deep cover <laughs> my thought is you know and and on the bed that she's jumped on, you know, when she arrives, uh, you know, is the files of all the Umbrella Academy, you know, spread out on the bed. So you kind of put two and two together that she's the deep plant, you know, right. she's the she's the mole um, in the making. And my- I love, by the way, when earlier when she was looking at Five's file, that it had like the kid version. Yes. But then it also had like the absolutely love it. Was, love the attention to detail. Yeah. And what that whole final scene in the episode left me with is I have a strong feeling Lila is one of the other 36 children. Hmm. Interesting. I was going to ask you about that again. We're going to try on, on this show not to go 
too deep into comic book stuff that hasn't been in the show as not to spoil anything but yeah i'm very curious it's it's crazy to me actually that they haven't touched on the other children at all yet you know that that seems like it has to be part of this story somehow so uh so you're thinking lila hmm that's interesting it would make sense yeah i don't you know, know. I, seems, I you know I, she seems nothing's been specifically she seems tipped. the right age right correct and she's obviously can handle herself physically you know she's she's worked some people over a little bit you know nothing nothing no display of any kind of superpower but you know she's she's a sharp woman and there's there's yeah. already established that you know she's there's more to her than just some, you know, random asylum patient. And, uh, right. And, you know, she, there's a great scene with her and Diego where she shows some vulnerability and it obviously causes him to, to open up and soften to her. And, you know, she's playing him like a fiddle and, uh, like a white violin, yeah. if I'm maybe so bold. Yeah. And, Ooh, uh, nice. Well played. And, um, well played. Yeah, that's uh Yeah, and if, if Diego is this world's version of Batman, I mean Batman certainly never bedded down with any normies. You know, all his partners were all always ended up being super villains. Absolutely. Or something, something or other. Absolutely. So, yeah, that 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 would stick with the genre for sure. Yeah, as as Damian Wayne would say, you know, you uh, we know your track record with women, father. So. <laughs> But uh, I would love to see it. I, I, I want very much to see them, uh, you know, explore, explore, you know, the other characters. The only thing, though, with her, I mean, and I guess anything's possible with all the time travel, but, you know, I mean, we're in 1963, so she would have had to leap back, too, from that time or from some time. Yeah, but her her, you know her, I mean? her mother is practically the master of the briefcases, so... Right, yeah, no, it's def- definitely plausible. But, well, uh, what I'd like... So, yeah, that was our cliffhanger for this yep. one. It basically left us at, at just the reveal that that Lila is, is the daughter of the Handler. And, you know, we don't, we don't really know their plans yet, but, uh, you know, we don't have to wait long. That's the beauty of Netflix. No, that's, that covers it. I, I uh, yeah, I just can't wait to get back to the next episode and, and really looking forward to to where they take us next. So come back and join us next time on episode four of Sir Reginald's Monocle, where we will look at the Umbrella Academy season two, episode four. I'm Toby Shaver. I'm Dave Shaver. We'll see you next time.